0: Just a word of warning before our episode today. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners should know that this episode contains the names of people who have passed away. And for everyone, this episode also contains some strong language.
1: Just, just,
0: just, words,
1: words, words. Words. just
2: words. Finding the line between free speech and protecting the vulnerable. You can't say or do anything anymore. Otherwise you'll be dragged off to the law courts.
1: Why is this? the pressing issue of our time. I actually was in high school, and I used to wake up every morning, get ready, and as I was getting ready for school, and before I was leaving, I, there was the King Billy Coke Bottle segment on Townsville Radio, and I'd be busting out laughing, thinking, how does this mainstream white radio station have this Murray on there, you know, because we're Murrays, you know, blackfellas, you know? This is Sean Chilborough. He's an Aussie comedian. And I remember there's a joke he tells about, he found a mud crab. One day Morton, he was down the river
3: and he got this mud crab.
1: While he was hunting and-
3: he opened the boot and threw the mud crab in there, put the boot lid down and the fisheries fellas jumped of the bushes.
1: The fisheries department said, put that mud crab down. Said, I got you, I got you. Said, I'm gonna have to fine you for this. And he goes, no, it's my pet crab.
3: He said, I'll bring him down every day here for a swim. He <laughs> said, bullshit. He said, yeah, mate, his name's nice, Marty, mate. And he puts it back in the water and lets it go. I'll give him a swim and he'll
1: come back. And the fisheries department goes, what time is your pet crab coming back And He goes, where is he? Where's what? <laughs> he is one of these idols that you grow up listening to and thinking... How funny is this guy? But at the same time, you're thinking like you're thinking that's a role model, you know. You're thinking this guy can do it. God damn, well we all can do it.
0: So King Billy Coke Bottle was this popular comedian. Uh, he was like not just in indigenous communities, but more widely as well. Uh, he'd perform in pubs. He was on radio stations across the country. Things were going really well for him until he became a lot more familiar with Section 18C. This is Just Words, a podcast where we tell stories about 18C, and that's part of our Racial Discrimination Act that bans offending, insulting, intimidating and humiliating people because of their race. I'm Nick Healy. Uh, Jake Morecambe is with me here today. Hello. Now, recently some free speech advocates have decided that 18C goes too far into restricting what can be said. Uh, They feel like 18C is being used to silence them. But if you look to the section that immediately follows 18C, and not surprise, surprise, that's section 18D, it's essentially a list of
4: exemptions. And those exemptions are really important, and we'll be looking at them today in the case of Kelly Country and Beers.
1: Yeah, I, I sort of draw a lot of my material, I guess, from Townsville, you know, and I think... And this story begins in Townsville. Townsville is great. It's 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 the best place.
4: It's a city about a thousand k's north of Brisbane.
1: You have a diverse black community there. You have Torres Strait Islanders. Um, you have South Sea Islanders from you know originally from places like Vanuatu, Solomon Islands, you know New Caledonia, um, and then also the Aboriginal people as well. You know, so you have three black peoples.
4: Sean grew up on an island just off the coast of Townsville.
1: No, not Magnetic Island, the tourist island. The one behind that, mag- uh, Palm Island, you know, which is the Aboriginal Reservation Island. Yeah? My parents were born there.
4: And it has a troubled history.
1: Palm Island once, in the Guinness Book of Record, was quoted the most dangerous place outside of war zone. That really? You, yeah, that you're most likely to get stabbed, killed or whatever. And I just thought, wow, how could that be? Because it's the most beautiful island you'll ever come across. The most beautiful people... The most genuine and, um, you know, and and it's probably the most famous community um, in Australia as well because of, um, you know, a few years ago you had a a riot there where, you know, Mulrunji Dumaji, you know, was uh, murdered by the police.
4: Mulrunji Dumaji was an Aboriginal man who died in a police cell on Palm Island in 2004, one hour after being picked up for allegedly causing a public nuisance. Life was already tense on the island. But this pushed things over the edge.
1: You know, you had uh, people who weren't allowed back on the island. You had um, not so much just the police there, but you had a uh, task force, you had army, you know, interrogating everyone on the island. People, you know, driving around the island with guns and things like that and smashing at people's houses and doing raids and things like that, you know, unwarranted, sort of um, pretty much scaring everyone in the community and stuff like that. So you kind of have, that's, that's painting a, a, a Townsville in a nutshell, you know.
4: Townsville is also the place where comedian King Billy Coke Bottle really made a name for himself, and he's still remembered by people who live there, especially at the Herbert Hotel. Yeah, tell me a little bit about the hotel. The, how long ago did you work there?
5: Uh, 12 years ago.
4: This is Melanie. She used to work at the Herbert when King Billy Coke Bottle was a regular.
5: Where he used to sit, there was like a plaque, and he would sit in the same seat every single you know, day that he'd come in. Um, and there'd be a plaque that says, you know, King Billy Coke Bottle sits here or, you know, something like that, and that would be his seat. So if anyone was to sit there, they'd have to move because he'd come in, you know, like he was like the famous, you know, ex-comedian. There used to be a little, little like, um, indigenous little statue, I think, as well, that used to be on the bar or something to do with him.
4: And this is Lisa. She works at the Herbert now.
5: When I came here, there was still a couple of his cassettes here for sale, there, there
4: were what, sorry? What for sale?
5: Uh, well, before CDs, you know, they had cassettes.
4: Oh, cassettes.
5: <laughs> yeah, and I think there was still, when I started here, a couple of his cassettes that people could still buy.
4: Kim owns Sir Herbert, and I asked her what King Billy Coke bottle was like.
5: Funny man, pretty jovial. Um, always fucking jokes. Loved to sip. Just regular guy, really. Uh, he was on radio here in Townsville, but I think he lived in Perth back then. And then moved over here to Townsville and also radio in Adelaide as well while I was living here.
4: King Billy was first on radio in the late 70s, early 80s. And remember that this is the era of cassettes. This is pre-Kevin Rudd's apology. The first royal commission into Aboriginal deaths in custody was in 1987. So let's just say at this point, there were very few Aboriginal comedians who had achieved mainstream recognition.
1: And I remember pulling up at the petrol station once, and here they were selling these King Billy Coke bottle greatest CDs, like a box collection. And I said, man, I remember this guy. Man, I'll put it on, I'll be listening to his routine, and I'm cracking up joking. Eh? People talk of, where were you when Kennedy got assassinated? I say, where were you when King Billy Coke Bottle was outed? King Billy Coke Bottle wasn't black, wasn't Aboriginal, he was in fact white.
0: Wait wait up, Uh, he was white?
4: Yep, he was white.
0: Did many people know he wasn't Aboriginal?
4: Well, when King Billy Coke Bottle first started broadcasting, everyone just kind of assumed that he was Aboriginal.
1: At the time, he had no idea, because you can't look through the radio, you know?
4: But when he started performing on stage, things were a bit more obvious.
1: I think I might have heard it on the news, you know, I'm not sure if I heard it on the news or... or if someone from towns or community told me and said, hey, you remember that King Billy Coke bottle? We all used to listen to I go, yeah, find a guy. Well, he's actually not Aboriginal. What? You know, and that kind of thing. And I remember being like really shocked.
4: And for Sean, King Billy's comedy just wasn't the same.
1: It changed the meaning of it in uh, a way of like, um, it, it's a very touchy sort of, you know, area, you know, because a lot of people, um, particularly the whole black community in the entire world, may not take, you know, to someone pretending they're black and, you know, or painting their face black and, you know, because it kind of, you know, creates the minstrel thing, the black and white minstrel thing, the cooning thing and things like that.
4: Sean struggles to see how someone could make a living by taking on an identity that isn't their own.
1: Going back to the blackface, yeah. To me, it's not cool. I think with King Billy uh, Coke Bottles' case is, you know, he is making a living out of being someone of, you know, not that race or... You know, not that lived experience as you're saying, you know, and coming in as a, you know, an imposter and telling the jokes about us and, that, and where you're just getting that cheap laugh, you know, where people are thinking it's hilarious to laugh at Aboriginal people where here he is painted up and clearly you can see, you know, that he's not Aboriginal and so on, yeah. So
4: to Sean, King Billy Coke Bottle had crossed a line and he wasn't the only one who thought so.
0: Right. So who even was King Billy Coke Bottle?
4: Well, I had not heard of him before this, so I wanted to find out who he was too. Um, scrounged through the white pages, you know, went through old business records, did cold calling, called the Herbert to be like, "Does <laughs> anyone know who this guy is?" And then we got an address. We found an address through an old business paper. Wow! Sent out a letter, and we got him a letter, a physical letter.
6: I mean, the Aboriginals call me Billy Co Bottle, right?
4: So, King Billy Cokebottle is a stage name. His real name is Lewis Beers. He was born in Holland and migrated to Australia with his family when he was three. And they lived in Perth.
6: In a place called Rossmoin, which was an Aboriginal part mission.
4: He spent a lot of time around Aboriginal communities and culture, and particularly with an Aboriginal group down at the football field.
6: No, they were from the Palatine mission, Rossmoyne, and they, they played football. I mean... Uh, there was Harold Little and um and uh, there was Harry Little and there was another little
4: Lewis used to go down and support them and bring them cans of coke and food
6: they told me a lot of different Aboriginal words, like you know, a manarch is a policeman, um, what you call a wadjulu is a white bastard, you know, and and the man uh, they just gave me all these sort of names and told them what it was, and I sort of grew up with them. They actually said to me, "We're going to," he said, "You know more about Aboriginals than we do." He said, "We're going to make you one of the blood brothers." So we had a, a bit of a, a scratch.
4: They basically initiated him into their community.
6: But I didn't cut myself too deep. I wasn't going to go and cut my wrist. But,
4: <laughs> and they gave him his name.
6: They said because there was a, a, a what's called a coke bottle laying there. They said, right, your name is Coke Bottle.
4: What does that mean? Wait, wait Coke Bottle laying, What's that?
6: Well, the Coke Bottle was just a Coke Bottle. Oh, right. Right, <laughs> and it was so funny. And I mean, and uh, and I mean, they said that's your name. Your name is Billy Coke Bottle. <laughs>
4: but they also gave him something else.
6: They always used to love me humour and half the time they'd come up with a gag for me. You know, so I couldn't see where there was a problem.
4: Why Why did you do it in the first place?
6: Humour. It was just pure humour. As I said, I've always just had a humorous approach to life and um, I don't think there's many places I haven't done a gig. You know, I've done one in Alice Springs and, I mean, I've done one in Darwin. So, And, you know, I really ended up you know, being accepted by the Aboriginals in all those locations, you know, so it was never a problem.
4: Throughout everything, Lewis claims that blackface has never been an issue here. The fact that he used to paint his face to look darker and he couldn't buy paint at the shops to use, so he used to make his own paint.
6: I made my own makeup. I used theater makeup make-up later on and... Um, and uh, it was hard to, to buy, and I used to put the, the beard on and the, the, the uh what you called longer hair in the back with the ponytail sort of thing, and it it served its purpose.
4: Lewis says that Aboriginal people were some of his biggest fans.
6: I mean, I've, I've done shows everywhere, you know, where Aboriginal people have been, and they've, they've been the first to be there. I've never been punched in the nose over it or anything like that, so... Mm. Yeah, it's just it's all been humour, you know, and that's all it was meant to do. And uh,
4: in your humour, did you did you ever have the intention to, you know, be offensive or be insulting towards Aboriginal people?
6: Never, no, never. Quite as I said, and I, and they embraced me up in town, so all the Aboriginals up there, and and they, you know, I never had any problem with any site I've been to. I mean, I've been to Meekatharra, I've been to Cowgulli, I've been, you know. And worked on mine sites with Aboriginal people and they know who I am and they're not offended. They won't know how they can get a copy.
4: Can you see how some people might see it as racist that you perform in blackface?
6: No, nah, I was never racist. It was not never ever racist. And I've never had an Aboriginal come up to me and, and say accordingly, you know, because and, you know, I was asked that exact same question. and uh, they said, Don't you think you offend Aboriginals by paying yourself black? And I said, Well, don't get me wrong. I said
4: when they have a corroboree, they
1: paint themselves white. Do we get upset? What do you make of that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that that's that's um, that's funny. Um, no, in a bad way, funny. You know, like doing a comparison of blackface and and you know, thinking that we're doing whiteface because we're painting our face and that yeah, it's um, you know these these paintings you know um that are on our faces and that represent you know um, goys or um, you know that the spiritual world you know and um you know we're not painting our face black you know um you know for um um you know a a gag i guess yeah
4: you mean you're not painting your face white for a gag
1: yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's right yeah
4: what do you think about the fact that he kind of uses that as a defense to to say that you know it's okay
1: i think it's a typical response you know if you know you're wrong and you're doing something wrong and you know you go well hey You know, um, well, they do this, you know, that sort of response. And I think um, that is um, typical of, um, you know, like I think deep down inside, he knows he's wrong. Like the probably amount of people who've come up and said, hey, you know, uh, don't you think you're offending Aboriginal people by painting your face black? Yeah.
0: So Sean definitely sees it as racist. I mean, how did this end up playing out in court?
1: Well,
4: let's go to the case itself. When did you first find out about the 18C case against you? Uh,
6: that came by mail. It came by mail to, um, you know, when I lived up in Townsville. You know, I finally got pulled up by the um, mob in Darwin and uh, in regards to the uh, 18C and all that sort of thing. And, um, you know, that, that really upset me a bit.
4: The hearing took place in Darwin, but Lewis stayed in Townsville.
6: I was done up with a phone hook-up to the magistrate's court there. And
4: and he represented himself.
6: They, yeah, he said, are you legally represented, Mr Beers? I said, no, your worship. He said, why not? I said, because I think there's been enough time, money, and resources wasted on this whole issue, and I'm not contributing to it.
4: The person who brought the case against King Billy Coke Bottle was a guy called John Kelly Country, and Lewis had never met him before. What
0: was Kelly Country complaining
4: about? Okay, so two CDs in particular, King Billy Coke Bottle, The Dirty Dozen and King Billy Coke Bottle, Gibbet Five, which were recordings from some of King Billy's gigs. The
3: thing that happened the other day, you're not a, this set of traffic lights. This is from
4: King know. Billy Coke Bottle, Gibbet Five, and it's a joke about Morton.
0: Uh, who's Morton?
4: He's like one of King Billy Coke Bottle's sidekicks, and he's kind of the butt of the joke in a lot of these stories. And anyway...
3: The car. So Morton's driving along in his car. He's going straight through a red light and he's smashed into a priest. And he crashes. The car, the priest's car, he's rolled over seven times and Morton's gone running over and he's pulled him out of the car and said, you all right, fighter? Language warning, by the way. He said, what are you doing, you fucking idiot? <laughs> Don't you know there was a red light? He said, oh, dear, father, calm down, hang on here, have a, have a drop of brandy.
0: Okay, so this is what we're talking about. This is the racist part. This is him playing on the uh, ridiculous stereotypes and all the bad things that people want to say about Aboriginal people.
4: Yeah, but listen to the
3: second half. So you are right now, fighter? No, you are fucking halfwit. <laughs> listen, you come through the bloody intersection there in the red light and nearly kill me. Calm down, fighter. Calm down. Have some more of this brandy.
4: So this gets repetitive. Morton keeps offering the priest brandy over and over, and he keeps drinking it. I'm still thinking this is racist. Hang on. So he offers some more brandy.
3: He said, "How can I?" He said, "This bugger all left. You better have a drink yourself." <laughs> What's it a can? He said, "The coppers are coming." <laughs>
4: This is where things get complicated because it isn't necessarily just blatantly racist because in a lot of these jokes, the Aboriginal person actually comes out on top. But this doesn't cut it for many Aboriginal people like Sean. However, this was Lewis's defence. And he had to find a way to make that defence stand up in court.
6: I went into Castle Row Street.
4: Because he didn't have a lawyer, he had to do this for himself.
6: And went into the racial vilification board there.
4: And the board told him...
6: You've always got to say the magic word of acted in good faith.
4: And in good faith falls under 18D.
2: So we got Section 18D, which outlines a range of exemptions to Section 18C.
4: This is Catherine Gelber, a professor in politics and public policy at the University of Queensland. Catherine gave evidence at the 18C parliamentary inquiry where the report was released at the end of February.
2: So you can't be held liable for unlawful conduct under Section 18C.
4: This is for things like scientific research, fair reporting, or things like...
2: Artistic endeavours.
4: And these actions are exempt under 18D if they're held to be done in good faith. And this is how Lewis could defend his case. So, let's go back to the
0: joke, though. I mean, you could argue, you could argue that King Billy is making a political statement here. You've got an Aboriginal guy who outwits the establishment, getting a white priest drunk. But regardless, the joke's still playing on stereotypes regarding Aboriginal people. Yeah. So, how is that seen as being done in good faith?
4: So, Kelly Country, the guy who brought this case up, said the fact that he was playing on stereotypes was a part of what made it so offensive but he only said that after he found out King Billy was a white guy. Before he knew that, he found the comedy funny in, like, a self-deprecating way.
0: So maybe it's not necessarily the comedy itself that's the issue here. It's the fact that King Billy is white and he's using blackface.
2: You know, I think it's a matter of considerable debate in contemporary Australian politics whether a, a comedian or artist engaging in blackface could possibly be doing that in good faith. Um, There have, in Australian public debate, there have been a couple of instances of blackface where it's hit the media and people have said, oh, my goodness, how stupid. And very prominent, very sensible Australians, I don't agree with them, but some very prominent and very sensible Australians have said, oh, look, it was just a bit of farming. They were just trying to, it was meant to be humorous. It wasn't meant, it wasn't intended to hurt anyone's feelings.
4: One example of this is the infamous Hey, Hey, It's Saturday skit from 2009. Uh, uh, uh,
2: We have... Oh, yes, actually,
3: there's an interesting story which I'll tell you after they perform, but... uh...
4: Six performers came out on stage, five in blackface and one with a face clearly painted in white, performing a Michael Jackson medley called... The Jackson Jive. (laughs) A lot of people were angry about this, especially the American judge Harry Connick Jr. Man, if they turned up looking like that in the United States like, "Hey, hey, there's no more show."
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's go to uh...
2: Well, I think that's an historical reading of a very important uh, piece of history that uh, that teaches us that the use of blackface was used to Uh, put down and denigrate and stereotype uh, African-Americans in particular, people of African descent, people of colour, and that this is a history that first we should acknowledge and secondly we should move past by refusing to use it anymore.
4: Do you think anyone ever performing in blackface can be doing that in good faith?
1: Never. Never in my eyes because, um, you know, you're basically make in front of someone you know to be like me you know like i have i guess white jokes but you know i'm not gonna sit there and do derogative white jokes you know because you know uh you know i find it uplifting you know (laughs) for the white race (laughs) so either way you know i for king billy um to think that he's not vindicating a, a certain race because of painting blackface and all that you know and and it's all in good faith. It's 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 far from good faith. It's it's the complete opposite.
0: But we know that King Billy Coke Bottle
6: doesn't see it that way. No, nah, it was never racist. It was not, Never ever racist.
0: But obviously, someone thought it was because they decided to file an 18C case against
4: it. We weren't able to get the side of John Kelly Country, who's currently serving a prison sentence. But there's another part to this. Just before the 18C case, Lewis was meant to perform at the Crown Melbourne, the big casino. And this was going to be a decent gig. It's a casino. It's a bit of a step up from the pub. But a couple of days before it was going to happen, it got cancelled. What happened? Community groups, including the Ethnic Communities Council of Victoria, had called out King Billy Coke Bottle's humour.
6: They thought a problem might arise.
4: And that people would be offended. But that didn't really phase Lewis.
6: So it didn't bother me when they said they wouldn't take me on. Well, we just went over the road to a nightclub. We, we went there and we sold it out and it was all bloody making money anyway, and then well, I can't recall that happening because he, he might have advised a guy at the, the Crown, but he didn't advise uh, me on it. So,
4: But this is an important moment. This was the first time that there was any public recognition about the fact that his comedy could be seen as offensive. You had a representative from the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Commission in Victoria coming out and saying that this type of humour just doesn't have a place here. Lewis claims he never had any trouble with Aboriginal people he knew and that he had met over the years. But what about those he didn't know? What about the Aboriginal people that he didn't grow up with or befriend when he moved to Townsville? Who's to say that they wouldn't be offended by it? And this is what Kelly Country was fighting for, that he was playing on these stereotypes, he was performing in blackface, and that by doing it, that might reinforce these stereotypes even further. It seems like a pretty strong case. But that's the thing. It wasn't. The judge even said that Kelly Country's argument was unreasonable. OK, I did not expect that. Why? I feel like I should point out that in the court documents, even the judge is quoted as saying this is the most difficult part of the case. So I'll try my best to explain it. Mostly it had to do with who Kelly Country was the judge calls him some sort of activist. And you might think that that makes him experienced in this sort of stuff, that he might know how to play the game in court. But actually, this was what held him back. Because he's an activist, he failed something called the reasonable victim test.
0: And so what is a reasonable victim?
5: The average person in the street
4: test. This is Kate Eastman, SC. She's a barrister with six St James Hall chambers in Sydney.
5: It's a way of sort of saying... You don't take either extreme end, so you don't take people who are uh, very sensitive to issues and easily offended, you don't use them as your test, but equally you don't use people who are so objective that they can contextualise everything, rationalise everything and sort of look at it almost through an entirely neutral
4: lens. And what's the point of doing that? It's about testing how a reasonable person, not an activist or someone who doesn't care about anything, just an average person who'd form their own opinion about something and how they would feel about what had occurred. Courts used to think of the reasonable person as the man on the Bondi tram. But when it comes to 18C, this reasonable person has to fall within the racial group of who is being discriminated against. And in Kelly Country's case, that would be an Aboriginal person.
5: If I looked at the language he was using and the context in which it was used and how it was used, the tone of voice, the manner in which it was said, then all of those circumstances put together, even if I'm a non-Aboriginal person, I can look at those circumstances and say, look, I think you know this language really crosses the line, so to speak and that it's very likely in the circumstances to offend, insult or humiliate or intimidate another person.
0: Okay, but so why did Kelly Country fail? I mean, wasn't he just a bystander in all of this as well?
4: According to the judge, no, because he was an activist, the judge said that he'd be more likely to search out this material for the purpose of being offended. He,
0: Sorry, he'd seek something out to be offended
4: at. <laughs> yeah, that he might use his activist status to try and push a case their way, which might not necessarily be unlawful. So he wasn't considered a reasonable victim. But the tricky thing is, who the reasonable victim is, is determined by the judge. They're the ones who come up with this neutral, hypothetical, offended person. And as you know, judges have their own opinions. At the moment, there are discussions about changing who that person is. Instead of being the reasonable member of the relevant group, the recent 18C parliamentary inquiry wants to switch this to be a reasonable member of the Australian community.
0: But if we actually change who that person is, then we could easily end up with completely different rulings.
5: We hope that judges, through their training and experience, bring an objective approach to determining these issues. But judges are human beings as well. And while they're trained to be objective, then they also have their own biases as well.
4: They might not also see that an act of performance like blackface might be innately racist as well. That's
5: right. That's right.
4: All right, so Kelly Country might not be a reasonable
0: victim um, and he might be too easily offended, but what about that whole in-good-faith aspect? I mean, again, that would come down to the judge, right? Yeah, that's right. So how did all that play
4: out? Well, the thing they looked at was his relationship with Aboriginal people and the idea that Lewis had developed some sort of affection towards them. Uh, affection. Had he developed this affection? Like, why did you have this affection?
6: Well, because I grew up with
4: him. The judge also held on to the fact that King Billy Cokebottle had the last laugh.
3: Well, let's give it a drink yourself. <laughs> What's it, I can't. He said the coppers are coming.
4: And he didn't see it as mockery or contempt. And because that the reasonably likely person wouldn't be offended, the judge found King Billy Cokebottle's tapes constituted an artistic work which was done in good faith. And that was it. Lewis won the case. Really? That that's it? Yeah, the judge found eighteen C didn't apply to Lewis in these circumstances. But that doesn't mean every Aboriginal person would agree with this, nor have been a friend of King Billy Coke Bottles.
1: Yeah, and you don't know the full story. Sometimes you get to hear, you know, the front you know, the the headline of it or just the the, you know, the Chinese whisper part of it, and you don't know the in-depth story, you don't know whether King Billy Coke bottle did have a, a great Connection with the community and things like that. Um, although I would know because, you know, I'm from that community, you know, I don't see, never see him at once at one of the, you know, public funerals or, you know, the traditional feastings and things like that.
0: So, what happened after King Billy won the case? I mean, did he just go on with his comedy?
4: Well, very shortly after all this happened, he quit. He quit? Yeah. No up yours, Kelly Country? (laughs) Not really. He just kind of stopped. His CDs were still being sold, but they were slowly fading out. And I wanted to ask Lewis about this. The judge had essentially vindicated him in his case and said his comedy was offensive, but okay to continue doing with the backing of 18D. But then he gave it up. Do you think that going through the case um, impacted your career in a positive way or or a negative way? What do you what do you what do you view it that?
6: No, I think it impacted in a positive way. I mean, um, I mean, as I said, I needed a sea change to go over to, um, to Perth.
4: But that didn't mean people weren't still seeking him out.
6: Yeah, I've had enough inquiries since I've retired, Only just recently a guy just uh, tried to get me to go and do his uh, wife's brother's 50th birthday or something and wanted to fly me over there and everything else. And I said, no, nah, I just don't, I'm not, I do not do it anymore. And then they wanted me to come and, and he said, I'll get you other shows and I'll get you to do this. I said, mate, I don't do it anymore. You know, I just, I'm retired, you know, give me a break.
4: Do you think if you were to do King Billy Coke bottle today that it might be received differently some like, like 20 years on? Yeah,
6: well, I'd probably think yes. Yeah, you're probably right there.
4: Why do you think some people would be offended today more so?
6: Well, you know, I mean, I think people have got probably more reasons to complain about the current comedians that stand up. You know, I mean, I'm past it. I don't want to get up at six in the morning and still be standing there at one o'clock at night. You know what I mean? It's it's got its uh, statute of limitations, I think, on my body, so... I wouldn't really be interested in doing it.
4: What's your opinion on the potential repealing of Section 18C?
6: Oh, I don't know. I really don't. See, It doesn't affect me personally, and I probably <laughs> don't care anymore. You know, as I said, I, my court case went to court, and I, I won that, and I feel free. And I do still run into the the odd policeman that I used to know. And see, I had a good relationship with the police force over here, and it. I, I used to drink with the police over here and I used to drink with the police over in Townsville. So, and I'd also run into the odd uh, one of the Aboriginal guys from Palatine Mission, that uh, I know. So, I'd, I mean, to me, I don't know what AD&C represents anymore for other people, but I have heard that there's other people, um, you know, coming up against it or thing And I, I think it's a, a hideous bloody act. I, I can't see where it fits in and I don't know who introduced it. Uh, however, that's it. Uh, it really doesn't affect me anymore because I don't do it anymore.
4: So when I first reached out to Sean, he knew quite a lot about King Billy Coke Bottle. He said he grew up listening to him, even had some of his CDs. But it wasn't until years later he found out that King Billy Coke Bottle was a white guy, Lewis Beers. Also, when I was first talking to Sean, he said he knew nothing about the 18C case that was brought up against King Billy Coke Bottle. And because he didn't know of the case, he didn't know the outcome either. What do you think about the fact that he won his case?
1: It sort of doesn't surprise me with Australia's um, laws as well, but also, um, you know, you look at comedy that's sexist, you know, you look at uh, comedy that's racist and it does have racial um, uh, connotations to it, you know, that are based on racial, you know, where it comes from the old America, you know, and things like that where, you know, you had the old black American jokes. And when it came to Australia, it was they took out the black Americans or, you know, the nigger word and things like that and added it with, you know, Abbo and Coon and, and Boong and things like that. And But it doesn't surprise me at all, you know, being in Australia, Bolt wanted to say what he wanted to say. You know, so they could get away with saying certain things or write certain comics in the newspapers and get away with it because they're protected under those judges or those, you know, changes of AD&C and that old generation, you know, where they, um, they're still in that head space, you know, where they don't want to change and they don't like the change. And um,
4: and he seems a little bit annoyed by that, obviously. Yeah,
1: obviously, yeah. He's saying, like, oh, what the hell, we can't say this anymore. It's certainly that privilege and... um. You know, I'm sure there's probably a lot of people who listen to him probably had no idea he was not black, you know, and that he really took on the accent and the, the style and that. You know, if um, I think if a lot of people did, and I think if they were really conscious about it, we'd probably have a NWA moment where everyone's <laughs> burning his he's and stuff like that. What's an NWA moment? It was where they um, they were all against that gangster rap, you know, You know, with with the words like bitches and hoes and things like that. And so they um, decided to um, burn all the CDs, you know, and there was this one moment where they have this news footage of everyone burning their CDs, you know. I could use it as a grab and go, and people have just found out that King Billy Coke bottle is not black, you know. And bam, have a look at what they've done to his CDs, you know. (laughs) Everyone burning and stomping on his CDs, yeah. (laughs)
4: What I think is really interesting about this case is that Section 18C stands to protect vulnerable communities, but ironically, it did the complete opposite. It protected the free speech of a white comedian who was performing in blackface under the exemptions of 18D. This ultimately came down to the judge, who found 18C didn't apply to Lewis. But in his reasoning, the act of blackface wasn't really brought up. The comedy, in the judge's words, wasn't to everyone's taste, but ultimately, he didn't see it as racial discrimination. I guess, I mean, comedy has always been about walking a fine line. And the Kelly Country and Beers case was over a decade ago. But what if another case like this was brought up today? Would 18D find it exempt? Or would it be determined as racist?
0: Next time on Just Words, we dive headfirst into the Pryor and QUT case that involves three students, an Indigenous computer lab, a federal parliamentary inquiry and a university that's become the poster child of the right in their fight to reform the Racial Discrimination Act. I'm your host, Nick Healy. I'll be back next week with more stories from Just Words. Just Words was created by Anthony Dockrell. This episode produced by Jake Morecambe. Our executive producer is Emma Lancaster. Miles Martignoni is our supervising producer, and he also did the sound design. Original theme music composed by Joe Koning. Research and assistance by Miles Herbert, Joe Koning, Taylor Fuller, and Shane Anderson. Marketing and communication support by Andy Huang. This podcast was made by 2SER Radio 107.3. Oversight for this series by 2SER station manager Melanie Withnell. If you like what you just heard and want 2SER to continue making original podcasts, donate today or become a 2SER supporter, just head to 2SER.com. And don't forget to leave us a rating or review on iTunes. It'll help other people find just words.